Thank you for joining us for another edition of The Divination Table. I'm your host, Michael Lennon. And today's special guest is an independent scholar, writer, teacher, and professional tarot consultant who has been studying and reading tarot for the past 50 years. She has a master's in English literature from the University of Central Florida, where she also first taught tarot in 1974 and continuing to teach it for 11 years at New College of California in San Francisco. She's the author of 11 books on tarot and on magic, and was the first to write about reading tarot for oneself. She pioneered what is called the right method, reading that are interactive, transformational, and empowering, featuring at most, you know, featured at most tarot conferences in the U.S. and abroad, and travels the world teaching tarot and Lenormand. Let me bring our special guest, Mary Kay Greer, online. Good Hi, evening. Michael. How are you? Can you hear me okay? <laughs> I'm fine. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I'm so happy to have you here. This is a, a, a true honor to have one of the biggest historians and, you know, readers and teachers, you know, in the tarot community, you know, coming live with us on show. Well, thank you. It's my favorite topic to talk about. I have gathered that and I have read, I mean, you've written a, a number of books. You've got like 11 mm-hmm. or am I missing a few? <laughs> um, well, the latest one, I bet may not be on the numbered list, which is the Pamela Coleman Smith, the untold story that I collaborated on with uh, three other people. And can you explain what the book is about? It's about the uh, life and artwork um, of Pamela Coleman Smith, and actually more than just her artwork, because she was also a storyteller, former. Um, she was just many things. So uh, being an artist, she created the artwork for the deck that's known as the Rider Waite deck, or the Waite Smith or Smith Waite deck. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's got to be an incredible book to uh, collaborate on and to, you know, come out. Is it available now or is it just coming out? It's just out, although I understand the very first set has sold out. And so the next, uh, they've got more coming almost immediately. Oh, that's got to be phenomenal. And I know you have one numerous awards i mean you're a you know you receive the international tarot lifetime achievement award from the association of tarot studies you know as well as a 2006 mercury award from the mary redmond foundation for excellence in communication in the metaphysical field um i mean what is it that drives you i mean because i know you've been doing this you know your entire lifetime this is like you know a major achievement to spend the amount of time, you know, where do you get your inspiration? Where do you get that drive, you know, to keep going? (laughs) Well, the whole reason why I keep going with tarot is that it's endlessly fascinating. There's so many dimensions to it. So I still love uh, the reading, reading cards for people. 
Um, I, I love teaching, but uh, the inspiration keeps coming because it, uh, you can actually study tarot from the point of view of history, of mathematics, of psychology, um, of art, of, of course, the divination, metaphysical studies, the whole range of metaphysical studies, whether you get into Kabbalah or numerology or astrology, um, as, and more even in the academic fields. Um, so, I mean, neuropsychology uh, and, and neuroscience, there's so much that it's telling us about um, what intuition is and how we use it and how it might be used best in tarot readings. So I go off on that. And then the whole thing about emotions and what are human emotions, because what's the thing that everyone comes to tarot readings for? And the truth is that uh, most of the really popular decks, uh, many people may not realize it, but the emotions that are expressed on them. I did a, um, a research project of, with nearly 100 people and the emotions that they were seeing in the cards were almost exactly the same among um, most of those hundred people. Wow. See, so, I'm yeah. one of those people who had this, you know, I have a hard time with tarot and I just can't seem to get it. <laughs> you know, I, I study, you know, Lenormand's, you know, tea cards, bone reading, you know, soul cards. I'm a, I'm a very intuitive and very um, symbolic style of reader. Uh-huh. And I've tried off and on for like 15 years to try and, you know, learn how to read the tarot. And for some reason, I just can't grasp that particular tool. What would you recommend, you know, for new people coming into divination, coming into wanting to learn how to read the tarot? You know, as a good place to start, I mean, like, I know you offer, you sell, you know, a lot of different type, you know, types of books, you know, what would be a good starting point for somebody, especially like somebody like me, for example? Well, the fact that you say that you really love symbols and that you read symbols and yet you can't get into the cards, I would imagine that part of the problem is that you think you have to follow a system. And uh, with tarot, there are those people who really connect with the idea of a system, memorized meanings, memorized correspondences with astrology or Kabbalah or whatever else. Um, and then there are the people who simply look at the cards and tell stories. And then another group entirely are the ones who look at the cards and look deeply into the symbols from a projective perspective um, as in Carl Jung's archetypes. So looking at what those archetypal messages are and what their own projections are. So with Tarot for Yourself, um, I really recommend starting out with a very simple uh, exercise of simply describing a card as literally as possible, as if you would want a police artist to be able to draw it without seeing it. So, you know, what, what clothes are they wearing? What color are they? What's in the background? Are they holding anything? If someone says to me, well, there's a king on the card, I say, what makes you think it's a king? What's, what's in the picture that makes you think that? 
it's amazing if you start with that. And then I have several steps where you go a little deeper. You talk about what seems to be the feelings and emotions of the figures on the card and the atmosphere of the environment. And so you're going a little deeper. And then I have people make up a fairy tale about it. And by that time, you never even are very deep into them. Plus, with the, in the majority of cases, I can open a standard book on tarot and show them where things they've said are actually the things that are in the, in the book as meanings. And the anomalies, okay. the things they see that are different than that, are often keys, very deep keys to their own situation. All right. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because I mean, I am one of those, you know, I'm a visual person. I've always been, you know, symbols, symbolic divination. And but I've also always been one to, you know, tell people and teach people, you know, learn whatever it is system that you're working with. You know, Mm -hmm. learn the fundamental meanings, learn the, the baseline of everything. And I think that's where I get stuck is, you know, I try to learn the book meanings. I try to remember, you know, all the different things, you know, the reverse, the not reversed, you know, how they pair together. And, you know, it always was a struggle for me because I guess I was fighting with myself and with my style that I have used for years on so many other forms of divination that I haven't really looked at it that particular way. Right. Because I've, you know, I like to walk walk the same talk. You know, if I tell people this is what I think you should do, it's also the same thing that I myself would do. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I've, well, I've struggled off and on for like 15 years. It's just like I'll pick them up. I'll start studying. I'll start reading. I think I'll start getting them, and then they don't make any sense. So I think I might have to try doing that. I mean, do you offer – do you have a book that you've written on this particular um, type of subject? For that approach, there's two books. One is Tarot for Yourself, a workbook for personal transformation, and that was my first book. Uh, And then a much more recent book is called 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card. And theoretically, you go through the entire book reading one tarot card. Of course, I give you permission. If you really want to change, you can. But then you have to go back to the beginning and go through very quickly some of the beginning steps just so that you get that basis as I said, describing the card, looking at the feelings, emotions, and attitudes of the figures, uh, storytelling, those kinds of things. Um, and that is what um, allows you to enter the card individually. Partway through the book, 21 Ways, probably, oh, a third of the way through, I mentioned some of the uh, keyword meanings based on number and suit. But I don't start with that. Um, and that's deliberate for the style of reading I do. Um, I call my readings interactive in that I'm often guiding the client through the kinds of steps I've just mentioned. And I'm listening to that and helping them hear their own wisdom. Okay, so you're empowering yeah, I was going to say, you're, so you're empowering people to really look within themselves and connect with their intuition and their own, you know, style of reading that has yes. yet to come out. Definitely. Although the way I uh, like to think of it is I'm creating a sacred space for them to find their own empowerment, for them to really get in touch with that in the moment. 
and I'm simply a midwife, midwife of the soul, <laughs> to uh, uh, assist them in bringing their own wisdom to birth. Because um, uh, a woman who's pregnant, she's the one, her and the baby do the work. And unless it's a real uh, problem situation, the midwife is there to encourage, to support, to help. And that's my role, to you know, make suggestions, to guide, um, rather than to tell. Now, in an actual reading, and the shorter the reading is, the more I'm a, a little more directive, I'm a little more active in the reading. In a 10 or 15 minute reading, I take a, much more of the lead, I give a little more background. But I always try to get some involvement. And in a full length reading, which I consider to be an hour, I'm really guiding very much the person through their own reading. And so I always let them know what I see also at some point. Uh, I mean, I, those are the kinds of readings that I love, you know, the interactive ones, the ones where your, your client, you know, is working with you and yes. looking for the information because it's not always, you know, as a diviner, because I do think that there's differences between just a diviner, you know, just a reader and a diviner. You know, our job is to help the person or our client uncover things, work mm-hmm. through things, move themselves. You know, it's not just here's a quick answer. You know, here's the yes or the no. It's what steps does this person need to take? You know, how can they move from this place in life to the next place? You know, how can they go around any obstacles that may pop up? And mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, it's not just a matter of us saying, hey, you know, here's what you need to do, because it's more about what they feel that they really need to do in order to get out of their own way and to move into another, you know, another space or to move past certain blocks. Because they have, you know, like you said, they have all that wisdom already within them. It's exactly. a matter of them bringing it out. And, you know. We're the vessels, we're the stewards, we're the ones that just say, hey, look, you know what, inch you away a little bit, let me help push you a little bit, let me help open you up, because mm-hmm. it's not about us, you know, as the, the reader or the, the diviner. And the biggest changes happen when a person recognizes something for themselves. If I give someone an answer, I have the power, I knew something they couldn't possibly know. Uh, They'd have to come back to me when they have their next major choice. (laughs) And (laughs) I have no interest in creating that kind of um, dependency. And uh, I I don't see how that benefits them at all. I would much rather have them say at some point, you know, that's not right, Mary. It's really this. And for them to have their eyes light up and suddenly realize that I would consider a totally successful reading. Yes. And I'll agree with that. You know, the, the best things I've never liked, and and it might sound kind of weird to some of the listeners on the show. I don't like repeat customers. Yeah. Because those are the ones they're dependent. I don't want people that are dependent. I want people that are going to be able to be lifted, you know, to help elevate them in life. And when they call me six months, a year, two years later saying, Hey, I just want to say thank you. You helped me open my eyes. You've helped me to be able to see where I need to go. You know, that's the best news I can ever hear rather than somebody mm-hmm. calling up going, Hey, I need, I, I got some major stuff going on. I really need to see you. <laughs> yeah. And 
you know, giving people the permission sometimes, which is what some people need to make the choices that they need to make. Because sometimes, you know, people are afraid to make a choice, you know, whether it's a right choice or a wrong choice, you know, we still have to learn, you know, in life. And we do that by making choices, you know, what good ones or bad ones, you know, we learn from Mm -hmm. each one, you know, how we can do things different. And I love that approach because it really does help a person's soul and their spirit to be able to transform their life into something completely new and different. Yeah. Yeah. An in-depth tarot reading should um, help the person see a couple of options and get clarity about which options are more along the line of what they, um, their own values. And also that goal clarification so that they can be clearer about what their real direction is, what their purpose is, because that's often the key to making a choice. Which choice is most in alignment with qualities you most want to develop in yourself or a goal that you most want to reach? And if you can get clarity about that, about what your options are and what your your goal or your personal development is then you're so you're really on the right track uh, to being able to make the decisions for yourself. Uh, and it's such a beautiful thing to be able to you know give to people. You know, it's one of the things that I love because you know I I stalk people not in a bad way. You know, before <laughs> I had people on the before I had people on the show. You know, I check out their sites, I check out their blogs, I check out you know things that they've contributed to the community. You know, I follow them around and I mean, I've known you for your, your name for years because, you know, I've been in the community for years and I have, you know, read some of your books. I have, you know, I think I got a couple still here. I'm going to reread because, you know, they're all on the tarot and I keep getting myself frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Read my books. (laughs) You know, and you've contributed so much, you know, it's, to be able to offer the wisdom that you offer in, you know, like 50 years, you know, continuing to contribute, continuing to help people become better readers and see different ways to be able to view, you know, some of the material and the cards, you know, from different angles, you know, that is a phenomenal feat. You know, and I can see how they have given you, you know, lifetime achievement awards and, you know, excellence in communication and, you know, all of these awards are completely well-deserved. Yeah, well, part of that in terms of education is um, experiential learning. And when I first started out in the 60s, it was still primarily rote learning. by the time I moved to San Francisco in the 70s, uh, you know, that the whole Bay Area and uh, West Coast of San Francisco was really exploring uh, experiential learning and uh, kind of crossover between encounter groups and various therapy things, personal insight work, uh, and how that can be used in classes to, so that students have their own insights. Uh, through some kind of experience in a class rather than sitting down and rote learning. 
you know, I can point people to books where if you want to memorize things, go ahead. You know, here they are. But we're not going to take uh, very much class time with that other than to just point out some uh, key ideas that will help you sort all of that information out. But the majority of the time we're going to be doing experiences that are going to teach you what it's about. And I think that's one of my major contributions. It's uh, very much what Tarot for Yourself was all about, was uh, how to learn the cards through doing stuff with them. And there's a lot of people who've responded. I've noticed on you know, Amazon comments where they go, you know, she didn't tell me how, what the meanings were, and that's what I wanted. And I'm going, fine, there's you know, hundreds of books <laughs> that do that. <laughs> and that's perfectly fine if that's how um, you, know, you learn best. But there, especially when I first started, it, there weren't very many books that had um, any experiential learning, or if it did, it was just, you know, a little exercise uh, at the end of a section of a teaching section. And so um, I really consider my number one contribution um, is that experiential approach to learning tarot and to reading tarot um, in that very personal way. And I kind of like that way because, you know, I, even though I am a stickler for tradition on a lot of things, I also understand, you know, as a human being and myself, you know, knowing how I work and how I learn best, you know, that's what helps me most. You know, I'm the hands-on type of person. I'm the visual kind of guy. You know, I could read books for days and not get a single thing. But when it is shown to me in a different light, that's when I tend to excel because there are countless books out that are all about the the definitions, you know, all about the meanings, all about the, you know, traditional, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the traditional correspondences, but yet every person learns differently. You know, yeah. for some, those types of books work incredible. For others, it's like looking at a techno, you know, technical book, and you're looking at a blueprint, and you're trying to figure out, you know, the mathematics without understanding math. Mm-hmm. I'm also not a numbers guy, so I can't, <laughs> you know, the mathematic yeah. part doesn't work for me either. Well, yeah. I had to develop my style because I can't memorize anything. That's my my biggest problem. If I didn't have my computer, I wouldn't have my memory, I, I often say, uh, because I throw everything in there. And I love to study material. Since I uh, have gotten into tarot, I've certainly studied the Golden Dawn system. I've even taught the very precise way in which they read the cards which involved memorized meanings and memorized correspondences and very particular uh, processes of it. But that was later, after I already had a feel for the cards. I already had a relationship, and it was one of the directions I took in um, expanding my abilities and stretching myself into places that were uncomfortable after I had already found why I was so drawn to the cards, what they were trying to say to me. And, you know, everyone has their own way in. There's some people who say the very first thing you should do before you do anything else in tarot is learn about their history. I love the history of tarot, but I, I, there's only a few people 
who I think are really going to get into the tarot through starting with an in-depth look at the history. Most people will be overwhelmed and go, what does this have to do with anything? Later, it becomes infinitely fascinating, or at least for me. Well, I think it does for a lot. You know, I mean, the first step I always do is, you know, learning my learning the system itself. But as I develop, you know, it's just like, I got to find out more about this. You know, I got to find out where this comes from. You know, why do I connect so well with, you know, certain kinds of cards like tea cards, you know, very fluid, very, you know, interactive, very visual and symbolic, you know, where do they come from? You know, and now I find myself wanting to learn more about the history, you know, as opposed to learning how to read them. I now want to understand them on a different level. You know, it's, it's like a relationship. It's like getting to know a person, you know, I know this person, but now I want to know why they tick, you know, how they tick, you know, how they became the person that they are, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I do think that it, it, for most people anyway, I think that it flows naturally in that progression rather than starting with the history part first and coming you know, into that love of particular cards from the history. Well, you'd be surprised at the uh, number of historians who insist on history first. You know, I think uh, you can do well with one page of history to start. And then if that's what really pulls you, that there's plenty of material online um, and some wonderful books that – you know, you can delve more deeply into the historical aspect. One of the things you'll find is that uh, the tarot, which did not come from Egypt or the gypsies, it's very well documented that it appeared first in um, early 15th century northern Italy, probably Milan or Ferrar, um, perhaps Florence. There's uh, we're keep turning up uh, records that kind of stretch the the whole idea of where exactly it was but they weren't used for divination at least as we know it for several hundred years so the tarot meanings that we learn are a made-up system uh, in contradistinction to some um, cardamancy decks like the Lenormand deck which was designed to do readings with very particular meanings it's actually, I consider, more emblematic rather than symbolic. Uh, we don't do that kind of projective um, archetypal symbolism that we do with tarot. Uh, with Lenormand, it's more like an emblem that has set uh, fixed meanings off of which you can riff when it happens, when your intuition tells you to. But you really need to know those kind of emblematic, um, precise meanings in order to have a good grasp of the Lenormand technique that was designed for the cards. So yeah, uh, I, it's interesting how different uh, those are. We can really make up whatever meanings we want for tarot. There's because somebody did that at some point in the late 18th uh, century. Why hmm. not? <laughs> well, I can't say much. You know, I often tell people that, you know, I can make any set of cards say whatever it is that I want. <laughs> Uh-huh. And and I say that only because of the fact that a lot of times, you know, it's my intuition that's speaking. It's 
pulling something out of that card that's not traditional, that's not having to do with a set particular meaning for that particular card. It just, for that moment, it just is exactly what it is. And I could lay out, you know, three tarot cards, three Lenormand cards, three T cards, you know, three soul cards and have the same exact thing show on every single one of them. Oh, wow. And it's mostly Uh because of the style of reading that I have been so accustomed to with my intuition and the symbolic meanings that there's always something on each card that my intuition can tune into regarding that certain question and come up with the same answers. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I actually took up uh, Lenormand because I wanted to have a more fortune-telling system because I use tarot much more, as some people call it, therapeutically. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very careful about the, the limits that I do, but it is um, you know, encouraging people to see what, uh, what they see in the cards and affirming uh, when that's in alignment with traditional meanings. Um, or letting them at times just go on whatever uh, journey they are and what they see in the cards. Uh, I'm much more open that way, but um, I was uh, curious to see if I could work with a tool that was much more precise and even memorized. And it took me about two years, uh, tremendous brain aches, not headaches, but (laughs) I actually feel like my brain was aching as it made new connections as I learned the tradition of Le And I basically follow that, that traditional way of reading very closely, except Every once in a while, I was doing a grand tableau, 36, all 36 Linoman cards for a woman who had a shamanic practice and was asking about. And suddenly, I started seeing the cards at a whole other level that was much more <laughs> shamanic. And I was going, oh, I'm sorry, you want to see a Linoman reading, and I'm just going off in all these directions. She goes, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I would say 90% of the time when I read Lenormand, I, I read very traditionally. And then there's that 10% where something takes over. And I just have to trust and follow it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as a diviner, that's what you, we end up having to do. It's like we always have to trust whatever comes through over what we look at because there's always a reason for it. And with Lenormand's, you know, I love Lenormand's. I mean, they are, I phrase them as, you know, point blank, sometimes very blunt, you know, in reference to the information that they provide, the answers that they give, you know, um, tea cards, you know, which are based off of tea leaf symbols, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, can be read like Lenormand's in, in certain ways, but they're also a lot more fluid. They're a lot more forgiving. There's not as much structure. Um, I'm not a structure person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to adhere to it with the Lenormand's, but I also have those moments where, you know, spirit or whatever it is that's guiding me at the moment says, Hey, <laughs> we're going off in this direction. And I'll so, go off in that direction. Yeah, I, I just wanted to note that Le Noman cards um, developed out of coffee ground readings. 
because people started seeing that the um, oldest list of coffee ground and then eventually tea leaf readings uh, usually had a fairly limited set of symbols that they would describe in those, you know, little throwaway books on fortune telling that uh, were so popular in the 18th and 19th centuries. And uh, what happened as at the end of the 18th century was that uh, someone came up with a set of coffee ground cards. And those are 30 of the 36 Lenormand cards. So Lenormand developed very quickly after that, at least the first version of it called the Game of Hope. And uh, that, that was a um, multi-dimensional card game that could be used for a shoots and ladders card game. And then in the instruction sheet, it said, and also used for fortune telling with no instructions. So it took another 50 years for the instructions to get uh, at least written down and specified for the rest of us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there is that lineage that goes from the most basic, um, a house, a tree, uh, certain animals like a fox, a bouquet, or sometimes roses, a bear or a lion. Um, yeah, those are all standard uh, iconography in the uh, tassiography, the, uh, which is coffee grounds or tea leaf readings, and in Lenormand. Uh, see, I need to learn more in history. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It really is what you have, you know, that uh, kind of comfort zone with uh, the tool. Yeah. Yeah, well, because you know, I, I love all forms of divination. You know, it's one of the reasons why I do the show that I do is to highlight people within our community, to offer support, to discuss, you know, different forms of divination from different systems, cultures, religions, traditions. And, you know, it never stops amazing me. You know, all of the different styles and types of divination that are out there that mm-hmm. even some of our own listeners, you know, may not even know exist. You know, it's it, it's my contribution because it's, you know, I'm not much about book writing. I'm more of the, you know, I'm the talker. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's you why know? you're doing this. <laughs> uh, I'm an Irishman, you know, we got, we have that gift of the gab, you know, we have to be, you know, verbal, you know, with a lot of things, you know, so what other things do you have coming up? I mean, I know that you do a lot of, you know, symposiums and conferences, you know, what things are coming up for you in the course of the next six months to a year? Well, the really big thing is the Omega Institute Tarot Conference, which is August 3rd to 5th, and that is going to be with um, several teachers. Uh, So um, let's see, there's um, Rachel Pollack and I have worked together at Omega for 25 years, and we, um, yeah, we've been teaching uh, tarot classes, and then for the last several years, we've been doing a weekend conference. So this year we're bringing in Liz Dean, who did the Game of Thrones tarot and many other really popular, well-known tarot decks and books. Um, Melissa Sonova, who did um, the Kitchen Table Tarot book, which uh, has been a real uh, way to access the cards for a lot of people, especially very young people who, again, are, uh, as you said, kind of don't want to sit down and 
memorize meanings and learn systems, but really want to have that experience with the cards and develop their intuition. And she gives really good advice for just getting into it that way. And then George Corey, who um, doesn't have a book or deck out, but is an amazing um, medium and tarot reader and used to be uh, a clown with one of the major uh, circuses. And so his style now of that teaching is fabulous. Yeah. Oh, he's just an amazing teacher. And can oh, really I know, I know he is. I'm going to have him on the show. I'll have him on the show too at some point. I didn't know about the clown part though. Ah, uh, maybe I told <laughs> a secret. <laughs> oh. but Rachel yeah, but and I, I then are doing a five-day workshop from August 5th to 10th. There's still time to sign up, and if anybody wants to make that last-minute decision to go to Rhinebeck, New York, upstate New York, uh, up up. State. Anyway, to go to the Omega workshop for our conference or the uh, five-day workshop with Rachel Pollack and myself, um, that is something I highly recommend. So that's the See. main teaching I'm doing for the rest of the year here. I will be in Montreal, um, and that is going to be in September, September 21st for uh, the inaugural Light and Love Tarot Reading Marathon and Workshops. So I'll be doing something there. I'm going to uh, be a keynote speaker at the Pittsburgh Pagan Pride um, event, Ooh, nice. which is in October. And I'm going to be in November. I will be in China, if anybody wants to go there <laughs> for <Wow>. a workshop <laughs> now. Both Rachel Pollack and I will be uh, co-teaching workshops um, in Guangzhou, China. So um, that's uh, the main things, I think, for the rest of the year. Uh, There's a possibility of a Women in Esotericism conference, but uh, that's not finalized yet. So I don't know if that's actually going to be happening. Well, you certainly do keep yourself busy, you know. Here, where I'm, where I'm from, we would actually call Rhinebeck Downstate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm exactly a little bit. I'm, I'm up in, so. I'm up in the Albany area. So. <laughs> oh well, you know, if you come to uh, the workshop with Rachel and I, you will see our way of teaching the cards, where you don't have to sit down and memorize anything. It will be right up your alley, and uh, some going in depth. Um, in some of the cards to see how you can really make the most out of them. Oh, I will have to look into that. I know I'm a little bit, uh, I'm planning a few things at the moment, (laughs) but uh, I will have to take that look. You know, I have to say one thing. I have a a guest who's been in our chat room who absolutely loves and adores you. He was the first person to pop in. you are like one of his favorites. He absolutely loves you. It's Professor Charles Porterfield, you know, wanted to say hi. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I gave that little shout out for him. Um, he has hi, been Professor waiting. Charles. You know, he has been waiting since I started posting that you were coming on. <laughs> and initially he had a little bit of issues jumping in and out of the chat room, but he finally got in and, uh, he was so happy. It was just like, so I wanted to just give him a shout out because, you know, he's always been a fan of yours, you know, 
especially your status as a historian, you know, of cards and cardomancy. And he says he would love to hear what you have to say about the German, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Kartenlochbuch, Kartenlochbuch from 1505. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, I'd have to go into my computer because my my memorization on any details about that is... uh, not very good, and I always have to get whatever German, uh, I have to get a translation or a friend of mine who can read me a little bit of it. Um, of course, even native Germans today have trouble with those really old, old books. Uh, but one of the things about Le Norman that's very fascinating is that uh, there was a deck that was done later in the States called the Gypsy Witch Tarot that had 56 cards basically Lenormand with added cards and they changed uh, there's correspondences to playing cards and they changed those all around to fit into uh, basically um, English and American understanding of reading playing cards and how they might associate with these picture cards that are Lenormand but it didn't work with the original Lenormand cards they've got associations to playing cards but they don't fit any system that most of us are familiar with, except the old German system. And that's the, uh, the carton most books are the card fortune telling books. That's what the uh, term means. And those had a very different understanding. They had different suit markers. So you had um, bells, uh, green leaves, red hearts, and uh, black well, let me see, it was black bells. I'm missing one thing, which I can't think right the second. Uh, and those meanings actually, although they were generally the same in that, you know, hearts were about love, just uh, like traditional. But uh, when you get to the uh, green leaves, um, oh, and acorns. Acorns were something that peasants ate. And therefore, those were the problematic cards. But Germany wasn't a a country in its own right until relatively historically speaking recently. Before that was a bunch of different principalities and dukedoms and whatever. Um, And people who lived a half an hour away from each other might speak a, a different enough dialect that they wouldn't be able to understand each other easily. So all of those different groups would end up with their own variations on it, even though they had the general overview of generally each of the suits, the German suits, uh, lent themselves in particular directions. But the details were, were different. So it's been very interesting trying to track down the closest uh, system of uh, details uh, between the original German uh, cardamancy system and the Lenormand cards, which is where my interest has been. You know, when I started reading my first deck of cards, my grandmother picked up at an auction. She actually didn't even know what she was getting. I think Spirit was just telling her, you know, hey, reach into this box lot, grab this thing and, you know, buy it. Um, Uh It was actually an 1850s deck um, that is called the Millie Lenormand Diviner's Deck. It is a 54-card a deck that is very similar to the Grand Jeu Lenormand oh, without right. the astrological symbols. 
It's actually um, like the language of flowers and plants. Instead of the astrological, uh-huh. you've got the plants on the top. And you've got your yeah. primary picture on the bottom and your two smaller pictures on the top rather than the opposite way around. Um, but for me, being symbolic reader, that was my deck of choice for like 15 years. I've read nothing but wow. that. And, wow. Uh, that and one I, I, I have not taken on yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one you're talking about. Yes. You know, and I've, I own, actually, I own the, uh, and I believe it's the actual original first deck. It's the old press board. It's all yes. black and white. There's no back on it. You know, there's no uh, pattern yeah, or anything else. Back. Like, you know, I also mm-hmm. own the, the colored version in the 1920 when they came out and they actually printed it. Grumo. You know, yeah. So the publisher for Grumo, uh, the Jude Le Nomand. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but, and I've done that as a practical mm-hmm. and um, symbolic style of reading that particular deck for years. Um, I don't know all the real actual meanings of all the cards because I only had this tiny little pamphlet that came in, half of which I couldn't read. Um, Uh But for some reason it spoke to me, you know, so I've used it for years. I've scanned it and had a deck I could actually shuffle and use without having to worry about damaging, you know, something from 1850. (laughs) Um, Well, I make a differentiation between card systems, um, individual ones like the Lenormand system, the tarot, you know, systems of reading, there's more than one, and what I call oracle cards. And I'm using this in the broadest generic sense. And um, anybody can use any deck or uh, even uh, postcards as an oracle deck. And that is... uh, kind of an open-ended or very personally derived symbol system that uh, you work with intuitively. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing it. You can use a Lenormand deck and create your own system or just in the moment, whatever you happen to see, you can pick up the Grand Jeu de Lenormand, uh, a set of flower cards, or as you said, the tea cards, um, tea leaf reading cards. Um, if you want to read them as oracle, what I call this generic sense of oracle cards or oracle readings, then it comes from in you. And uh, depending on individually whether you see it as messages from uh, some form of guidance or divinity or angel beings or whether it, you see it as a projective device that you're projecting onto, whatever your personal way of doing it is fine. Um, and then I con- contrast that with uh, the uh, people and who choose to work within a given system of reading what was either devised originally when a deck was created by the creator or with tarot where there's been you know, several hundred years of a pretty cohesive um, understanding of the cards, especially of the major arcana. Yeah, and that's a lot. I mean, 78 cards. I mean, that, that's the other thing I think that throws me is, you know, I'm used to smaller decks, <laughs> 78 uh-huh. cards. I don't have the greatest memory myself either. Um, so I'm sitting there going, man, how am I going to memorize all these 78? Yeah, and it's well, with the, the Rider-Waite deck, 
You don't have to memorize them. It's a little harder with the Marseille style, the French style tarot cards. But with the Rider Waite, it's uh, very easy to work with. And then other decks, depending on which ones speak to you. Yeah, and I think that, and you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, every other style of deck, I'm very intuitive. I'm very symbolic. I'm very visual. Tarot, for some reason, I can't, I have never sat down and looked at that particular way. For some reason, I just keep beating myself up saying, you know, I'm really going to learn how to really read this system. Mm-hmm. And I, it just doesn't work. <laughs> And when I first started trying to learn how to read, I had issues because there was color on the decks. And like the, uh-huh. my initial deck that I read with for years right. was, you know, black and white. Uh-huh. No color whatsoever. It was all, you know, I don't know if it was hand-drawn, stamped, or, you know, it was just your your drawings on each card. And there was no color to anything. So I read black and white for years. And when yeah. I started trying to introduce color... I don't know if it freaked me out <laughs> or distracted mm-hmm. me. You know, it was something quite different. You know, now I love the fact that I can actually look at color and I can mm-hmm. look at, you know, bones. And now I can look, you know, with the bone readings, I can see three dimensional and it brings more layers to everything. You know, right. it, maybe I'm growing up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's whatever works. I teach people rock reading, um, reading with rocks um, that I give them give out <laughs> randomly. You know, not pretty gemstones, just rocks. And I have a whole process that I take people through, and they end up with the rocks speaking by the time they've gone through this step-by-step process that takes them deeper and deeper into uh, the rocks, the essence, knowing what that rock is about and what, how it communicates what it has to say. Um, it's uh, something I sometimes teach in the tarot classes in order to have people see that you can take uh, some of that same sense over into your tarot readings when you are wanting to read intuitively. Yeah, see, I love the intuitive styles. You know, it's one of those things that I think empowers every person Mm -hmm. to break out of the box. You know, there's nothing wrong with tradition. I'll say that because I love tradition. However, I do think that as every diviner develops, every diviner needs to break out of the box. Mm-hmm. And let whatever is inside flow, you know, and that could break rules, you know, that could change things dramatically from system to system, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that because every mm-hmm. single person is individual. You know, we, none of us read the same. We could do, you know, we could both use the same set of, de- you know, the same deck of cards, have the same exact client, have the same three cards land, you know, for that particular client and read them in completely different ways and yet still get valuable information that the particular client needs to have at that particular time. Right. I do want to give a little bit of the other side, and this comes from me as a teacher for over 50 years, or actually I've been teaching for almost um, about 45 years. 
uh, but doing the tarot for all that time. And that's a kind of critical dimension that most people don't bring, rightly so with beginners. So I think all beginners should stick their fingers in their ears and not listen to me for a couple of minutes. And the more advanced people can listen. <laughs> and that said, uh, intuition is not always right. And no. so many people, when they're telling people the one thing they need to learn when they're or do when they're reading tarot or uh, an oracle deck of any kind, is to absolutely trust their intuition. And I'm sorry, I've been on many tarot forums and Lenormand forums and other playing, you know, cardamancy forums, and not everyone's intuition is helpful or even right if it's some very you know specific information that uh, is being looked for yes no answer about something that's going to happen in the near future or you know predictive um, not everybody is right I'm sorry <laughs> and they may um, say but I trusted my intuition there have been some of the most in-depth research done by neuroscientists and neuropsychologists on intuition in the last 20 years. It's phenomenal what's been brought up by it. And they found that in general, intuition, which is the fastest way to get to knowledge of any of our brain resources that we have, it's putting things together instantaneously in a kind of gestalt or recognizing a pattern and seeing it. And in general, it tends to be about 50-50, correct or not correct. If it's in an area of your expertise, that goes up quite a bit because knowledge and experience are the things that are going to up your um, uh, ability to be correct with your intuition because your brain has already made connections among various things and instantly recognizes a pattern. Yes. Even though then it can occasionally be wrong. The other thing is having a little checklist of particular things that you check to see if you've gone way off. Because another thing we do is that once we start seeing a story, is that we as human beings, we get locked into the story. And if we do that too quickly when we're doing readings, lock ourselves into this wonderful story we're telling and how you know, we can imagine that it would go on, we can get off point, off the, the topic, and get lost in the forest for it um, and have this nice little story, but it really wasn't dealing with the person's issue. And so having these checklists where we go back and use the system as a way to very quick keywords, check your associations, and see have, do you need to clarify something. The other end, of course, is, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, is being aware of your own biases, your own uh, projections, your own uh, assumptions about things. The more you can do uh, processes, uh, trainings that uh, sensitize you to that so that you know the feeling when you're right on and yes. you know the feeling when you've gotten off and you yes. begin to recognize those in yourself, which means you have to do a lot of personal work to get those yes. to those places, to see your shadow. I, I agree with that part 100% because, you know, I, I think sometimes often a little bit of ego sometimes plays a part in that as well. Oh, yeah. You know, because, you know, 
as human beings, we don't like to be wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I trust my intuition, but I also know my intuition is not always going to be 100% correct. I trust it because it has shown me over the years, you know, little bells, little whistles, little signs, little things that stand out or, you know, shake me or sometimes give me the, the goosebumps or the little pimplies or, you know, shivers exactly. up my spine when I hit right on point. I always know. I also know that when I don't feel those things, I know I need to take another look and I need to see, okay, why am I not getting these normal signs that I always get when I have been correct? Mm-hmm. And then I have to address yeah. that. You know, yeah. I'm human. I'm a human being. We all make mistakes. I read, I give my advice, I give my readings based upon not just what I see, but also my own life experiences, what I have been through. You know, if I haven't been through a situation for somebody, I normally will send them to somebody who has been because, you know, it's like women that have been in horrible, you know, domestic violence, you know, situations. Mm-hmm. I can't really read for them because I have never been in that situation. So for me, it's like I can't offer them the amount of information that could be very helpful for them. So I'll find somebody that has been or that works with that particular type of situation. And I'll Mm -hmm. refer them to somebody because I feel that, you know, I would be doing somebody a disservice if I have not had certain experiences to try and do a reading and give them the best information that I could possibly give. Well, I think again, as you, if the more you're acting as that midwife, the more you can be with them in their own exploration, using the cards to point in directions for them to explore and then affirming when you hear the truth in them, which is another thing that experience teaches us to hear when someone is speaking their own truth versus when they're saying, well, do you think maybe that I'm right about this? I'm going, no. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> if they go, uh, oh, you mean this? Oh, yes, I see exactly when I do that. You know, there's a total difference between those two different voices and uh, all kinds of more subtle ways. And I think we can be there to some degree for people who uh, with experiences that we haven't had if we're acting in that uh, guide or midwife to their own process mode. I'll have to look at it from a different point of view then because, you know, I always refer people, you know, if I don't have an experience, I like to refer them out. And it's mostly because I haven't had those experiences yet. And maybe I need to start, you know, looking at it in a different light, Well, we all have our limits. I don't do stock predictions (laughs) and I don't do medical and I don't, yeah, there's, there's certain things that I absolutely uh, kind certain kinds of questions that I don't feel uh, capable of answering. And, you know, I'm not a professional in that field. So yeah, we all have to find what, and that's having ethics when you know your uh, own limits. Yes. You know, Professor Porterfield Porterfield says, you know, this is also where tradition, you know, helps to ground us, you know, just as, you know, techniques help ground inspiration and artistry, you know, know, 
that's what I was part of what I was getting at, you know, using those um, given meanings, the time tested meanings and techniques um, as a, a counter check or at any moment that you're feeling a little lost or that you need a different perspective on something. If you go back to those, those can either prime the pump for a new direction or counter correct some direction that you've gotten off on. If I look at a spread for someone and I suddenly, you know, I'm reading live with them and I suddenly um, draw a blank on the card, the very first thing I do then is ask the person, oh, would you simply describe this card to me? You know, that very literal description. Because I've learned that there's something about that card that they know or that they'll bring up that I couldn't possibly have gotten to or I wouldn't have gotten to without a lot of work, uh, whatever it is, and that they will give the key to that right away. And so I've, I've, that's one thing I've learned to trust. You yeah, know, well, you know, it's like amazing. You know, it's amazing yeah. when, you know, and it, it's not just the asking them, you know, about a particular card. It's the method in which you ask. You know, if you're asking them, yeah, you're asking them to describe this particular card, what it is that they see or feel from this particular card. You know, it, it's so much different than, I, I have to word it this way, you know, fishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> we've all seen in groups, you know, online and, you know, sometimes in person, you know, the, the fishing questions, you know, does this seem to fit? Does this seem to, you know, it's the yes or the no question that you can tell, okay, here's somebody that seems to be lost in their reading. And the the fake psychic reading too. You can go pretty far with that kind of fishing expedition. It's totally different when you come from a point of view of open-ended curiosity of truly opening yourself to not knowing and letting the client be right or letting the client show the way. And I consider it a true art of um, the art of asking questions where you don't know the answer. You keep yourself as open as possible and see what the person is going to bring up. Uh, You can go so much deeper, so much faster in a reading when you do that and really get to the real meat of it rather than staying just on the surface. Right. And, you know, I think the interactive approach with clients is, you know, something that's, you know, highly needed. I mean, your client has to be invested in their reading, you know, the same way that you're invested in reading for them, you know, and sometimes they'll just sit there and they'll look at the cards and the minute the cards fall, they'll look straight at one point one out and they'll be like, Oh my God, I know this. This is blah blah blah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sometimes literally something that happened that day or the day before or something from a dream. Yeah, I've seen that happen. Uh, I have too. But you know what I, I find, you know, the one the times that I've done readings for people and they have, you know, looked at the cards before I have a chance to even open my mouth, they'll see one particular card whatever they normally say is the reason they really walked in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they've 
come in completely and just like as a reader or a diviner, you know, we try to remain open, you know, to all the information, all the energies, you know, the spirit guides, the ancestors, whatever it is that we work with, you know, and to have clients come in and they are completely open like that. And they're like some of the easiest people to read for because they basically do it all themselves. <laughs> and they, and, and they give themselves yeah. the answers, you know, yeah. and we are there to guide them along. And when you say it's, it's easy, it's both easy because it flows beautifully and it's so rewarding, but it's also yes. difficult because as a reader, you have to put your whole attention into being present for your client. And th- when you're reading cards and you're just kind of telling the, the querent, the, the client, what the cards mean, uh, it's almost like people can be talking to themselves and they just go off in whatever their own, you know, stuff is that they see there. And they might be right on, but it's, it's easy. They, they just keep talking. They do a flow. And uh, the client can take away from it whatever it is that they want or they get out of it. I know quite a few reading, readers who are like that, some extremely good at uh, what they see and some not. But when you're doing that more interactive, you have to be fully, absolutely, totally present to the client and really hear what they have to say. And that is, um, I, I don't want to say draining because it isn't. I find it kind of exhilarating, but it is uh, a level of complete focus that um, if you're just telling somebody what the cards mean, doesn't have to be there. That I will agree with, you know, because as a, a diviner, I'm also a medium, you know, I'm a clairvoyant, clairaudient, you know, I draw upon a lot, you know, so there's times where right in the middle of a reading, one of their ancestors will chime in and they normally do mm-hmm. it with, with odd things that I myself would never come up with. Like I did a reading for my friend, John, and in the middle of his reading, a message was coming through from an older female in his family. And I did, couldn't pick who it was because the only thing she kept doing was smacking her lips. Mm. It was like, you know, somebody, almost like somebody chewing gum. Uh-huh. And I sat there, you know, and it went on for probably like, you know, 10, 10 minutes into the reading. And I turned around to him and I said, look, I said, I, ha- I have to interject. I said, because one of your guides, one of your ancestors is just not stopping with this. And I explained this to, you know, exactly what was going on, what sound I was hearing. And he started laughing and he goes, that would be my grandmother. Mm-hmm. My grandmother used to chew gum and smack her lips all the time. And it was basically kind of like doing that. It was her way of getting somebody's attention. Whoa. (laughs) And I was just like, well, now I know why she wasn't stopping. She was getting my attention, which was to get your attention as to the information coming up, because this is something that she wanted you to be aware of and that you hadn't been paying attention to. Uh And, you know, and it never ceases to amaze me, you know, some of the connections that we make with our clients, both on the physical as well as the spiritual level. You know, I love when guides come through and start giving 
information to me because at that point cards don't really exist. It's more give and take freely of the information exchange that's taking place. Mm-hmm. You know, but it also can be kind of, I will say draining because it is at that point <laughs> drawing upon areas that take a lot of energy and a lot of focus, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to stay in that particular moment, you know, with my client. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know. it's, it's totally different than casual conversations. You know, somebody saying, oh, you know, what do you think I should do about this? You know, this guy. And, you know, when you're just sitting around talking, it's a completely different thing when you're doing a reading. Yes. Well, cause we're, it's not normal conversation. You know, yeah. I mean, we structure it in a way where it's, sounds like normal conversation but i mean it's very spiritually based and very empowering to our clients to open them up you know mm-hmm. i don't want to do all the work for them you know i want to give them the tools that they need to be able to do the work for themselves yeah you know so what now you have we said you've got about uh 11 or 12 books, you know, you've got all these classes coming up and you're going to China. Uh, I've been there, um, I think four times so far. So this will be the fifth time. Wow. Now, do you speak Chinese? No, I did take classes for a while because I like to at least have some basics. Uh, But at my age, with my lack of having being able to remember things very well, it was just more than, I mean, I would have had to have devoted myself full time to studying for probably a year or two uh, to make any progress. So uh, I kind of had to let it go. But uh, I've had uh, really good translators. Yeah. Wow, that's phenomenal. So as a well-seasoned historian, educator, phenomenal being. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For all the new people that are coming into divination, you know, tarot or Lenormand's, um, what is is one thing that you would recommend that they work on? You know, not necessarily card-based, but, you know, how to become, you know, what they should have in their toolkit to become a better reader or a better diviner? You know, we have so many tools out there from the whole, um, you know, personal development, um, the metaphysical and and psychic development uh, programs that there's, you know, I I hate to mention any one because uh, it's kind of like what you're drawn to at a particular time, what, uh, resources or around you, uh, what speaks to you. Um, the, I would say probably a, some form of meditation, whether it's through a spiritual group or it's mindfulness meditation, is um, pretty much essential because it can help you with any personal development work and creativity and uh, life planning and <laughs> all kinds of things. It can help you with studies. <laughs> Um, so definitely some form of, uh, meditation, not that you have to do it every single day, 
you know, for an hour or anything like that. I, I, I'm terrible at doing things consistently. Uh, so I go in and out of periods where I'm doing it regularly and then where I kind of let it trail off and then remind myself what a wonderful tool it is and <laughs> come back. I do the same. Uh, I do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I I think that, you know, one of the things that you're you're saying um, without mentioning individual things is, you know, aside from learning your particular tool, you know, aside from learning your the tradition or the type of cards you're going to read, you know, spend the time to develop yourself spiritually. You know, spend some time, whether it is with psychic development work or whether it is with mindful meditation, whether it is with, you know, any form of spiritual enlightenment. And and psychological, you know, doing shadow uh, work in uh, Jungian or neo-Jungian kind of way or nonviolent communication. Uh, there's wonderful workshops and books about uh, nonviolent communication that will help you tremendously in communicating with people. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much. We're really rich in these kinds of experiential things, and a lot of the, them are on YouTube now. So if you seriously sit down or are on podcasts, um, you know, sit down and, and take the time to do the things that are being recommended along with whatever video or audio uh, mechanism you're listening to, uh, you can get a, a ton of learning that, you know, was just beginning to appear in the late 60s and through the 70s and really getting developed in the 80s and uh, widespread now, totally widespread. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the amount of things that we, you know, that the community offers now all over, you know, you don't even have to leave your home. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's also one of the scary parts about, you know, technology is you don't ever have to leave your home. <laughs> <laughs> but there is something to say about, you know, leaving your home, going to, you know, I've been to a number of pagan events, you know, gatherings, you know, spiritual endeavors, you know, large, one in my 20s, you know, called Starwood, you know, we had like over 2,000 people, you know. Right. Yeah. It was huge, and it was a, a large group of like-minded individuals, you know, teaching and sharing and enjoying life and enjoying all the beautiful things and the spiritual aspects of everything and just coming together for celebration. And yeah, there's one in San, the San Francisco area, actually San Jose, uh, called Pantheacon, which goes on for four to five days, and that's, you know, at any one time, there can be 20 different workshops or rituals happening in all the different um, broadly pagan traditions. So it's a way to go and see which ones you align uh, with or what teachers you like and find out about different events and things that are happening all across the United States. And there's people from all around the world who come and uh, who teach. So yeah, there's quite a few on different on the different coasts primarily, and a few in the center of the country. Um, definitely conferences, uh, workshops. If you get a chance to study with somebody that uh, whose work you admire, I really recommend it. I think you can go much farther, much faster, in even a weekend with someone than you can studying out of the books on your own. 
but then you go back to the books with new eyes, with new understanding, and get them at yes. much deeper levels. Yes, you know, because right now I'm normally I would be trying to go to an event here in New York. It's uh, yeah, down in Sherman, New York. It is Serious Rising, which is another like five day festival type thing, you know, where they teach classes and they have courses and meditations and, you know, drumming throughout the night. God, I miss the drumming throughout the night. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those beautiful things, you know, that you reawakens you to things that, you know, you might not have thought about for a long time or new things that just pop into your life that stoke the fires again and then you do, you go back to your books, you go back to your learning and you look at things and everything now looks completely different. And yeah. now you take away more and you develop everything even more. You know. Plus you get to meet so many people at these different events and classes uh, that often become lifelong friends, uh, you know, a support network for your work. Uh, a lot of times, um, especially in the early days, we would have people who were uh, first meeting each other on uh, tarot, the early tarot forums, forums. And at the Omega Institute, we had several times that people uh, who had only known each other through the forums would agree to come together to uh, one of the courses, the workshops that Rachel Pollock and I teach, um, and would both meet each other and get to bond really closely with each other as well as getting to know us. And many of us have remained friends for over 20 years meeting like that. Yeah. And it's wonderful when we meet people that are, you know, have so many things in common that we have, you know, it's a completely different type of friendship Mm -hmm. than friends that we would have outside of the tarot community or the spiritual community you know, there's, I feel, I find there's a lot more depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the conversation immediately can go into those deeper places. And, yeah, sharing. Someone was um, interviewing me the other day, and she's just beginning to be, um, she's a professional journalist, but is just beginning to be a uh, professional tarot reader. But we found we were immediately uh, very deep into the experience of reading cards because her own natural inclinations were exactly along the same line as mine. And so we were suddenly, you know, in the depths of it, <laughs> having met, <laughs> you know, for five or ten minutes and, you know, a soul sister. It was yeah, quite and wonderful. And, and, and that's the way I would describe yeah. it, too, is the soul sister, you know, because you make yeah. that instantaneous connection and it's like a mirror Mm -hmm. of your experiences and your likes and it's like man it's almost like I'm talking to myself and (laughs) And it's like but another version another version of me because they're on the same plane they're on the you know every level playing field they have same experiences they're interested in the same things you know and we could literally just talk for hours like i've known you for years Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and it's affirming that we're not crazy (laughs) Uh, that these things really do exist and that they're really valuable that we uh 
you know, find a very meaningful, deep, rich, rewarding life in studying and practicing these things. And that's another level of it is the kind of high that comes from meeting other people and realizing how rich our lives are through our studies and our work in these areas. Yes, and it's amazing. You know, I want to take a, you know, give a shout out again to Professor Porterfield, who has been nonstop sitting in chat, listening intensely, you know, because he loves you to death. Uh, I also want to make mention of the Mile High Conjure Gala coming up in September, September 29th and 30th, out in Colorado, I believe. Denver. Denver, yes. I would imagine, I'm guessing, Mile High City. It is definitely going to be in Denver, you know, so they're going to be teaching classes on, you know, uh, conjure and hoodoo and root work and bone readings, you know, with people such as Candelo Cambisa, Loretta Leedsmom, uh, Elaine Bryant and Brother R.J. James, Professor Ames, Beverly Smith, Professor Porterfield will be there, as well as Ambrosine mm. Legree. Uh, Michael Cardenas, My- Michelle Jackson, incredible bone reader, Hoodoo yeah. and Mose, as well as Miss Ada. You know, there are still a couple of spots left. So if people are interested in going, you know, go to ConjureGala.com and you can find out more information there. Um, now, you have a website yourself. Yours is actually listed as your personal site, MaryKGreer.com. Yeah. Where they can. Hello? I am hearing myself. I can hear you. Nope. I I was hearing myself because I accidentally hit a page and it started playing the audio um, oh. <laughs> at the same time. So your website is MaryKGreer.com. And this carries all the information about you, about, you know, uh, classes coming up, your different publications, how people can contact you. And this is actually your tarot blog, correct? Yes, it's primarily a blog. I don't always keep up with the other sections, keeping them up to date. Bad girl. But um, I do... (laughs) Uh, right in my blog and, you know, looking back through the archives, there's tons of historical uh, articles. There's articles on reading, reading with different um, Lenormand and, and Tarot uh, techniques, spreads. Uh, uh, some of the blog posts are specifically for beginners. So they're kind of, you can go through the categories and see quite a few blog um, posts on Pamela Coleman Smith and the research that I did on her, um, all kinds of things. Now, would that be also how our listeners get a hold of you or if they want to reach you, ask questions or schedule readings with you? I mean, is that the best place for them to reach out for you? There's a contact page on there um, if they want to contact me, and it's best to go through that. So is there anything else that you have coming up book-wise or anything else that we have not touched upon that you would like to make mention of? Um, not real specific. I've got a couple of book things that I'm supposed to be working on, but it's not at a stage that it really 
um, I, I should mention anything at this point. I do, uh, since we were talking about conferences, want to mention that every year at the end of April, I believe, is Reader Studio in New York, which is a big conference. Uh, yes. It usually fills up pretty quickly, uh, but that's a wonderful way to meet tarot readers. And then there's the Northwest uh, Tarot Conference, which is a little earlier in the year. Um, so I think January, February, March, somewhere around in there. Northwest Tarot, it's called NUTS, the NWT, Northwest, NWTS um, uh, Conference. And so there's one on either coast, and then occasionally other ones show up, um, different conferences. But those are the two main ones right now that are going on. And tarot people are incredibly friendly. We really try to break down the difference between uh, the professional reader or the, the teachers and uh, the new people who are coming and the students. We are a community together, and we try to promote that. And it's one of the things that I love. I have not been to one as of yet. Um, I have talked to a number of people that have been uh, both as participants and as teachers, you know, and they all say the same thing, that it is an incredibly wonderful place for people to come together that are so friendly, so inviting, so willing to share and help people to learn, you know, the, not just tarot, you know, but also Lenormand's, you know, I mean, so yeah. many wonderful and beautiful people and all the pictures I've seen over the years, they've all had smiles from ear to ear, you know, <laughs> yes. they speak so highly of, you know, the, the expertise you know, of the people that are there, the friendliness, the way that they put everything together, as well as how high the energy is all day long. <laughs> it is. It truly is. And um, I think there, there's something about tarot, because I've been to conferences in some of the other fields uh, where there's definitely a hierarchy and you have to be part of the in crowd if you're going to sit with a group of people. At the tarot conferences, you can go up to any group of people and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Can I listen in, join you? And they probably have already welcomed you in and said, yes, sure. You know, come to lunch with us, do something with us. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. One of these days, I will, I will make it. God willing. I Hopefully, hope so. maybe I'll even take my laptop and maybe I'll do a divination show while I'm there. That would be with wonderful. A of, with a series of mini interviews with different people throughout the, you know, the, the course of the event, you know, because that's also one of the things that I have been thinking about as well. Yeah. <laughs> Taking yes, the show on the road. <laughs> and you'll find that the participants are often just as experienced and wise and, and brilliant and giving as the, the speakers are. It's, we just draw so many wonderful people. I, I know quite a few that have been there, you know, um, few have been on my show, you know, Ronna George, love her to death. Mm -hmm. George Curry is going to be coming, you know, um, yes. on the show as well. Um, I, I've got some few hidden talents I haven't mentioned as of yet. Um, but you know, 
I haven't booked them yet, so. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> but but I but I will. I like to keep a little a couple things on you know hidden in the hat you know to pull out. <laughs> it makes yeah. for a more interesting show. Um, would you like to say our final goodbyes to our beautiful audience? Yes. Well, it's been wonderful uh, having this conversation with you. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and finding out a lot about what you do. I, I hope uh, everybody has uh, learned some uh, different perspectives to think about, see what works for you and what doesn't. And I am so happy. I've been so blessed to be able to have you on the show. It's been a tremendous, you know, honor having one of who I consider to be, you know, like one of the most giving people, you know, in the community that is, I mean, your whole life's work, you know, to have somebody that has given so much to the community and has spent their entire life for the most part going through and showing and sharing with the rest of us that want to continue to learn and elevate, you know, you are an absolutely beautiful soul. And I've been so enjoying having you on the show today. I'm blushing. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) And I'm lucky to have found something I love this much, the people and the work. Yes, I I agree 100%. You know, it's phenomenal when we do things that we love and we can enjoy life and the people that surround us, you know, that's what life really is, you know. Doing what we love doing, spending time with those that we love, sharing those moments together and, you know, lifting everybody up to new levels and new heights and just mm-hmm. smiling and enjoying everything. Yeah. So I want to thank all of our listeners for a beautiful and wonderful show this week. I hope to see you all next week right here on the Divination Table. <laughs>